0: Hello friends, and thank you for tuning in to this week's sermon from Spring Hill Baptist Church in Millport, Alabama. We're currently working through the Gospel of John in our sermon series entitled, That You May Have Life. Our prayer is that this time in God's Word would be edifying for you. God bless. If you have a Bible this morning, do go ahead and take it out and open to John, John chapter 18, John chapter 18 this morning. We're finishing chapter 18 of John, uh, verses 33 through 40 is what we're going to look at today, John 18, 33 through 40. One of the things that we've seen overwhelmingly so in John is that John, uh, as an author, really thrives on irony, and there is a lot of irony in the Gospels in particular, but John especially thrives on irony. When I say that, and if you don't know what I mean, what I mean by that is that a lot of the time when you read it, sometimes up is down and down is up. Things that seem this way are really the opposite. They're, they're, there's almost a hidden meaning that's in there. For example, uh, Peter, we saw it just a chapter ago, was outspokenly loyal to Jesus. Of all the disciples, Jesus was the mo- one most outspokenly loyal to Christ. He says, Jesus, I will die for you. So <laughs> listen, if somebody comes to you, I'm going to be willing to die to fight at your side. And this is the same Peter that just a few verses later denied him three times. You see, up is down and down is up. The most loyal of all of them, so to speak, becomes the betrayer. Another way that we see this irony is that Jesus is the greatest, the greatest anything. And so he, being the greatest, washes his disciples nasty, dirty, disgusting feet. It's up is down and down is up. Jesus is the ultimate authority and yet he humbles himself. It's ironic. We also saw last week, and we're going to see it again this week and in the weeks to follow, that Jesus is completely innocent. The only man that has ever been perfectly sinless, perfect, holy, and yet he is going to die a murderous criminal's death. It's ironic. Up is down and down is up. We saw last week that the Jews were absolutely wretched. They were spiritually filthy. They turned Jesus over, the Son of God, to to Pilate to be murdered. And yet they didn't want to enter Pilate's headquarters so that they could be seen as ceremonially clean. It's ironic. Up is down and down is up. Last week when we opened our service, uh, or, or the preaching time at least, I talked about Kanye West and saw that our God is mighty to save. Amen? Our God is mighty to save. We talked about that. And, not, and just using him as a platform for which to jump, jump, we saw that really God is mighty to save any of us. And we are not any more deserving of hell than any other person because God is mighty to save. Today I'm going to talk about him again. And the reason why is because that album that I talked about, that he released, talked about how wonderful Jesus is. You want to tell me what the title of it was? Jesus is king. Jesus is king. The reason I say that is because when we're looking at it in John, this part, Passion Weekend, one of the biggest themes of John chapters 18 and 19 is just that, that Jesus is king. Jesus is king. The theme of John for the next few weeks is going to be just that. I mean, what sort of a king, though, is publicly mocked, is spat upon, is flogged, beaten, wears a crown of thorns, not medallions and jewels, is scoffed at, is stripped naked, is shamed, and yet, the irony of it, up is down, down is up, is that that king is called victorious, and he's wrapped not in shame, but in splendor. What sort of king is that? What sort of a king is that? That's King Jesus. You see, what was meant for shame resulted in worship. Our king's death, the king of kings' death, was actually his glory. And that's what we're going to see today and in the next few weeks. Alright? So let's check it. Check it out. John 18. Verses 33 through 40. This is what the word says. John 18, 33 through 40. John writes this. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the King of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation. And the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not of this world. Then Pilate said to them, "said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born... And for this purpose, I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, ah, But what is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the King of the Jews? They cried out again, Not this man but Barabbas now Barabbas was a robber we'll stop there just to recap for a moment, last week we saw that Jesus had been delivered over to Pilate by the Jews. Pilate, just to give you a real quick summary of who this guy was, he wasn't a good dude. Uh, a lot of historical details tell us that he was uh, more concerned with his own ego and with himself than he was really for justice, and yet he was the governor, Roman governor of this Judean region. And so he was the Judeo, or rather the judicial final say-so, which is why the Sanhedrin brought Jesus to him, because they weren't going to be able to do anything to Jesus if Pilate did not sign off on it. Jesus's innocence is then highlighted, but they wanted to kill him. Not just kill him, but have Rome kill him. And the irony of that, once again, is that the guilt, the cursed method of death, is highlighted. And that is the death of a criminal, the death of a cross. Public shame, according to their law, the death of someone that is accursed. So this week... What I want you guys to see is that Jesus' cursed death wasn't a corner that he was backed into, but was the method through which he chose to be glorified. He wasn't helpless. He wasn't backed into a corner. This was the method through which Jesus himself chose to be glorified. So if you're taking notes this morning, this is going to be our structure. A purpose-driven death. All right, A purpose-driven death in two ways. Number one, Jesus' death... Did not tarnish his kingship. It amplified it. I'm going to say that again. Jesus' death did not tarnish his kingship. It amplified it. Pilate went out to meet the Jews, and now he's going to go back into his headquarters to speak with a man that is on trial, and that's Jesus. Pilate seeks to get to the bottom of this accusation against Jesus. It's this momentous occasion. The Jews have brought Jesus to his doorstep and said, hey, we want the death penalty on this guy. And so Pilate, being a judicial figure, is going to go back in and talk to Jesus himself and figure out what exactly these accusations are about. Look at verse 33. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus' claim, which we've already read about in John, and if you're first, this is your first morning with us, or if you've been here with us sporadically, we've been going through the book of John for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. and weeks. Uh, we think almost a little over a year. So we've been through John for a long, long time, and one of the things that hopefully you've picked up on is that Jesus did make outstro- extraordinary claims about himself. He claimed to be the Christ. He claimed to be the Messiah. But what they're accusing him of here is not that exactly jesus claimed to be the christ he claimed to be the messiah which by the way if they knew their old testament it would absolutely mean that he would be the great king of israel the greatest king of israel down from the line of david but we don't see it recorded that he jesus specifically was claiming this to the jewish leaders and yet this is the accusation that they bring against him and so why why not just come up to pilate and say pilate listen he's claiming to be the christ and he's not. He's claiming to be the Christ and he's not. No, they said he's claiming to be the king of the Jews. Why was this accusation brought in this format? It's because the Jews wanted the death penalty. You see, what they're saying is, listen, Pilate, Jesus makes himself a king and therefore he's an enemy of Caesar. Pilate wouldn't give one rip if he said, hey, this, this is the Messiah and we can't have that. He wouldn't care. But since Pilate hears... That Jesus is claiming to be a king, it's going to tickle his ears in a certain way. A way that says, you know what? He is opposing Caesar. And the Jews knew that. They knew that, and so that's the charge that they bring against him. And so it makes sense as to why Pilate's response here in verse 33 when he sees Jesus is simply that. Well, are you the king of the Jews? Are you a king? Look at verses 34 and 35. Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord? Or do you say, or, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, am I a Jew, your own nation, and the chief priests have delivered you over to me? What have you done? See, the tone of Pilate's response is that of someone that is taken back, really someone that's annoyed, someone that's bothered. Why? Well, because Jesus is saying, are you asking me this because they accused me, or are you asking me this because you're starting to realize in yourself that maybe I'm bigger than what you think? Pilate's answer is reasonable to him because what he's saying is, listen, I'm not a Jew, so I really don't give a rip. (laughs) I mean, just giving you kind of getting into the details here. He's saying, I'm not a Jewish person, so I don't really care if you're the king of the Jews or not. Just shoot me straight. These guys are trying to kill you. So the Jews accusing Jesus are accusing him of being a king, and obviously they're trying to coerce Pilate into a prosecution. He's not just the Christ, he's not just the Messiah, he is a king, and so that's a problem for you, Pilate. The thing is, Pilate wasn't an idiot. He knew that the Sanhedrin wasn't truly concerned with anything uh, as far as a threat goes to Rome, unless they first saw it as a threat to themselves, which is why he has this question. What have you done to these guys? Your own people delivered you over to me to be killed. We see it in verse 35. What have you done? Clearly they're not looking out for me. They're looking out for themselves. What did you do to these guys? Look at verse 36. Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, check this out. My servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. What I want you guys to see here is that first in this verse we're going to see in verse 37 a flip of this, right? But in verse 36 Jesus is going to first tell him what his kingdom is not, okay? Then later in verse 37 he'll tell him what his kingdom is about. But right now this is what my kingdom is not about. He says what is it not? It's not of this world. What he means by that is that it's not a matter of territory, it's not a matter of political power. It's not a matter of being in control of some region geographically speaking. He's disarming that idea. Jesus isn't he's not all about sitting here and taking people groups of, of different nations and, and spreading his kingdom and causing some insurrection. That's not Jesus' goal at all. If it were the goal, then what Jesus is saying is there would have already been a violent upheaval. What he's saying is, you think that I would be here in handcuffs? I'm going to use our layman's terms. You think I'd be here in handcuffs if I was the king that wanted to cause a problem? No, my people would have been fighting. I mean, hundreds if not thousands let him in on a donkey just seven days ago. If I didn't want to be here, I wouldn't be here, is what Jesus is saying. Think logically here. The insinuation of Jesus is that it is because of his kingship that Jesus will willingly die, not in spite of it. In other words, Jesus is right where he wants to be. If this action was opposed to his kingship, there would be a fight against it. But the peace in his spirit is because he is in accordance with his father's will And what would exalt his kingship to the greatest degree. We could say it this way. That an act of heroism warrants praise and honor and celebration and devotion. You guys ever seen the movie The Lion King? I've referenced that movie before. The movie The Lion King. I didn't see the new one just because, you know, I'm a purist of Disney movies, I guess. And I didn't want it to be ruined. Um... But in The Lion King, if you don't know the story, Simba, this, this lion cub, leaves and then he comes back. And then he is going to take the throne, which is rightfully his from his uncle, who is the, the evil lion. It's personified, so whatever, I'll just get past that. What happens is that Simba has to kill Scar. His uncle. The evil uncle has taken his, his throne from him. And when, when Simba kills Scar, it earns him the honor that is bestowed on him as king. And at the end of the movie, spoiler alert, it's like 30 years old. Okay, you should have already seen it. If you were planning to see it, I'm just going to spoil it. At the end of the movie, Simba becomes the king. And all these animals that are also sort of personified, they're, in a sense they're praising him. Worship may be a little bit of a stretch, but they're giving him honor adoration the kingdom is reflective of his leadership and they're giving him this adoration they're giving him this praise why because he's been hailed as the hero he is their hero he restored their land i mean goodness we just got done with halloween you know kids dress up for things like batman or spider-man kids don't dress up as uh spider-man because they like his outfit and the colors you realize that right Kids don't dress up as Spider-Man because they want to, you know, have his look. They dress up as Spider-Man because Spider-Man is a hero. He's awesome. They watch his movies and they're like, that guy's awesome. I want to be like Spider-Man. Think about it in our culture. We celebrate holidays, things like the 4th of July or Memorial Day. We celebrate those things to honor and to celebrate the heroes who fought and even fell to earn victory over military foes. My whole point here is that we respond to heroism. With remembrance, with celebration, with praise, with honoring those people. An act of heroism warrants praise, honor, celebration, and devotion. So why is Jesus going to go and die? And why was it his idea? Think about it. Because he wants praise. He wants honor. He wants devotion. He wants celebration. He wants to be worshipped. He's a hero. And Jesus' death is heroic. And nothing short of that. This is important, guys. Don't be fooled by Jesus' physical inaction and acceptance of his own death. Jesus is fighting. Jesus is fighting here. Don't be fooled by the inaction. He's fighting, but he isn't fighting sinners, he isn't fighting Rome, and he isn't fighting the Jews. He's fighting for sinners against the real enemy, and that's sin. Jesus is not inactive in the passion narrative, he's active, he's fighting. Sin has done something to your soul and to my soul and to Pilate's soul and to the souls of every man that no man could ever do. And that is that sin has eternally destroyed you. Your efforts are hopeless against it. You, in other words, to reflect the song that we sang just a moment ago, you are not worthy. You're not worthy. You can't be in the presence of a holy God because sin has destroyed you. And what I want you to understand is that Jesus is not inactive in this passage. You see, the cross was an all-out assault on the wages of sin. And that's why we sing, Jesus paid it all. It's an assault. Inactive, laying back, no way, no chance. He's fighting all right. He's just not fighting against sinners. He's fighting against the thing that killed him. Far more than being concerned with a kingly fight against sinners, Jesus is focused on a kingly victory over sin. And I'll give you another spoiler alert. He wins. And like a true hero, more than Spider-Man or Simba or anybody else, any soldier combined, he is worthy to be praised. Go to Philippians chapter 2. Keep a finger there. Okay, we're going to come right back. But I want you to see this with your own eyes. Philippians chapter 2. This is perhaps, in all of Paul's letters, this may be the most Christ-exalting passage that he has ever written, all right? Philippians 2, verses 8 through 11. Keep a finger in John, we're going to flip right back here in just a moment. I want you to see this with your own eyes. Philippians 2, verses 8 through 11. This is what Paul writes, okay? Because of what Jesus did on the cross, check this out. Heroic, okay? Worthy to be praised. Philippians 2, 8 through 11. And being found in human form, he, that's Jesus, humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that, listen, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That album that Kanye West just put out, you want me to tell you what the last track is, is titled? It's titled Jesus is Lord. You want me to tell you why? Because every knee, every knee, when it's all said and done, will bow. And every tongue, when it's all said and done, will confess confess that that's exactly who he is. He is Lord. King. The greatest. The hero. Worthy of all praise and honor and glory forever. Church, hear hear me say this. Understand. The king of kings came to make war. But he was not making war on Rome or on the Sanhedrin. He came to make war on sin. And so, I want to apply it this way. If Jesus is your king, we're approaching Christmas, king of kings. We'll talk about that, right? If Jesus is your king, join the fight. Join the fight. Don't use the grace of the cross, how wonderful it is. Don't use the grace of the cross as a license to be devoted to. Or to to not be devoted to following Jesus. Honor your king by taking up the same fight. Jesus did not conquer sin so that in your life you would be complacent around it. Jesus didn't wage war against a a thing so that you and your life could just be like, eh, it'll just be what it is. If he is your king, join the fight against it. But secondly, if he is your king, exalt the victor. There is a not yet sense in which we daily make war on sin. But the good news of the gospel is that though, uh, though the daily war of sin is present, the eternal weight of sin is already vanquished. And so when we take the Lord's Supper here in just a few moments, we talk about remembering, proclaiming, we talk about celebrating these things. The reason why is because Jesus is king. He's already done so much. We remember the fact that he crushed death. We remember the fact that he paid the price. We proclaim those realities and we celebrate the fact that he is worthy and he is king. Jesus' death did not tarnish his kingship, it amplified it. Number two, Jesus' desire is to bear witness to the truth. Jesus' desire is to bear witness to the truth. Jesus has already said what his kingdom is not about, it's not of this world, it's not about political power or about territory, and now he's going to say what his kingdom is about. But before he does, Pilate responds to his initial statement. Look at the first part of verse 37. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. Pause there for just a moment. What he's saying is, okay, so you're saying your kingdom is not of this world. Oh, so you just gave yourself away. You are a king. That's exactly what's happening. Oh, okay, so you are a king. And Jesus' response, in my translation, you see, it says, so you are a king. He says, you say that I am a king. That's really not an excellent translation. I mean, it's a good word-for-word translation of what he says, but the tone behind what he says is essentially what the NIV says, which is, you are right in stating that I am a king. You see, it's, there's a question mark on the end of it, but the words are, are stating, Right. Oh, so you are a king. It's a question, but what Jesus is cleverly saying is, you're exactly right. (laughs) You're right in stating that I'm exactly what you just said. But, there is a unique mission to his kingship on earth. Look at the, the last part of verse 37. You say that I'm a king, you're correct, he's saying, for this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world. Here it is, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice Halloween is over right so all the kids costumes and things all the things you spend all that money on it just goes away it goes into storage and you'll never see it again and some of you guys are just crazy people that like uh, on November 1st at 12am you like go and pull the Christmas tree out of the closet you're like "All right, it's time two months here we go And you start listening to the Christmas music and you guys are just bonkers and that's up to you. You know, your life, you live it however you want to, I guess. Um, There's a little nugget here. Uh, The reason I say that is because, yeah, Christmas is coming. I'm excited. I love Christmas because I love Jesus. And so there's a little Christmas message in this verse. And I want you to know, did you see it? Look at this. Verse 37, the second part. He says, for this purpose, I was born. There it is. The birth of Jesus. For this purpose, I was born. What Jesus is saying here. Is it the purpose of my being born into this world? The purpose of my life? The purpose of my kingship even? What he says is, is to point people, to testify, he says, to the truth. Which causes us to ask a question. Jesus has done a lot of preaching. He's done a lot of teaching. So what exactly is this truth that is the central theme of his life? I mean, that's a weighty statement, isn't it? I came, my birth, my life, my ministry... Is to bear witness to the truth. What truth is he talking about? That he's powerful? That he heals people? That he walks on water? That he's a great teacher? What is it? Well, Jesus has already told us in the book of John. And you don't even have to turn there because I think you know it. John 14, 6. What is the truth? I am the way and the truth and the life. And here it is No one comes to the Father except through me. What's the truth? That Jesus is the way, that Jesus is the truth, that Jesus gives life. What is the truth? That he is born and that he testifies to, that he is the only way by which man can be saved. The truth is that he is the only way that people can be saved from their own sin, which is what we see illustrated in the very next verses. Get ready, y'all. This is powerful stuff. Look at verse 38. Pilate said to him, What is truth? Which is a very sad, sad verse. Because 37 ended with an invitation. He says, basically, he who has ears, let him hear. My people, they respond what I told them, what I just told you. And the sad reality is the beginning of verse 38, Pilate dismisses it. That question, what is truth? This is the tone with which he's asking it. Ah, but what is truth? And then he walks away. It's sad. But look at this. If Jesus' followers are characterized by allegiance to his testimony, the truth, rather than violent upheaval, then Pilate, listen, he has no choice but to recognize that Jesus is the victim of the Jews' plot, not the criminal. Alright? If his people aren't trying to have some insurrection, they're not trying to overthrow Rome, they're not trying to do anything violent, Jesus is a peaceful man that is interested in abstract principles. What is truth? And so Pilate has no choice. He's got to go back out there to those Jews and say... This guy's not guilty. He's not a king. Even if he says he's a king, he's not a king. Which is what happens next. The rest of verse 38. It's probably a new paragraph in your Bible. After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews, and that's exactly what he told them. Look at this. I find no guilt in him. Pilate understood that Jesus' response to be, yes, I am a king, really meant in Pilate's way. No, I'm not a king in a political sense that could endanger the Roman Empire. And therefore, Pilate goes right back out there and he says, he's not guilty. Verse 39. But, what a horrible, horrible word. But, you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? What Pilate does here is he brings up a procedure of release. Seems to be to save face with the Jewish people as well as to protect his own skin. He says, listen, he's not guilty, but hey, have it your way. He labels Jesus as the king of the Jews, which doubtless was a provocation. He's trying to trigger them. But he compares Jesus with maybe the most ruthless criminal in the Roman people's holding. Barabbas. I mean, Pilate's like, this dude's not guilty. Tell you what, listen, it's up to you. But I'm going to compare him to the absolute worst of guys among you. There's no way that you're going to free Barabbas instead of Jesus. Let's get this right. That's not what happens. Look at verse 40. They cried out again. Not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a robber. That's the irony, right? Right? Jesus was an innocent man, he's God, innocent. Barabbas was the exact opposite of that. He was a guilty man. He's mentioned. Barabbas is mentioned in all Please don't put up your stuff yet. Barabbas. Barabbas is mentioned in all four gospels. The reason I say that is because that rarely happens. That means it's a very very significant detail to this narrative. Barabbas was a guilty guilty man. He was a thief, he was a murderer. He was an insurrectionist, which if you don't know what that means, it means that he was a part of a violent rebellion against authority. A thief, murderer, an insurrectionist, violently rebellious against authority. And the Jews chanted for the innocent Son of God to be murdered in the stead of a violent rebel against authority. So let's go back and think to what Jesus just said. I came, I was born, and I lived to testify to the truth. And John very intentionally follows that with an illustration of exactly what that truth is. Jesus instead of Barabbas. He would take the place of the prisoner. I'm going to say that again. The truth is that Jesus takes the place of the violent criminal, the prisoner. Christian, whoever you are, you are Barabbas in the story. You are Barabbas in this story. You, like Barabbas, are guilty of violent rebellion against authority. And I'm not talking about the United States government. I'm talking about a holy God. You're Barabbas in this story. Guilty. Guilty as charged. A prisoner against sin. Sin is not just doing bad things. It is insurrection, rebellion against a holy God. And so you and I both, all of us, stand guilty as charged. When Paul says that the wages of sin is death, he's exactly right. We justly will spend eternity apart from God, separated. Unless, unless Jesus dies for the prisoner. Jesus became death so that you and I could become free. 1 Peter 3.18 beautifully says it like this. For Christ also suffered once for sins. The righteous for the unrighteous. That he might bring us to God. Check this out. You want me to tell you in, in, in the Aramaic language. What Barabbas' name literally means. The prefix Bar-Abbas. What does Abba sound like? Father, right? You know the Abba Father. Father, Bar, is like Simon Bar Jonah, Simon son of Jonah. Listen, Barabbas means son of father. Do you understand how beautiful that is? How beautiful that is. He is son of father, and yet the person who's going to die in his place is the father's son. He is son of father. Jesus became guilty that you are Barabbas can become a child of the Father. Isn't that amazing? Jesus' desire was and is to bear witness to that truth. Folks, the greatest way to honor Christ as your king is to declare that same truth to yourself and to everyone in your life, to others, to live missionally. Do you understand? How do we apply this? Live missionally. We are on a rescue mission, church. We are on a rescue mission How hateful does someone have to be to have the cure for a fatal disease and yet withhold it to people that are perishing? How hateful do you have to be to have the way of rescue and yet let people perish without it? And we're not talking about an individual here and there. We're talking about the masses, genocide, perishing, because we're not responsible enough to go and give them the good news of salvation. if you really believed that you had the way you'd share it so what really does it say when we withhold it we honor Christ as king by declaring the same truth to other people but also I think that you and I need a good dose of gospel every day A lot of you guys do that daily devotional, a gospel devotional, New Morning Mercies. That's what it does, right? There's no frills about it. It's straightforward. You need the gospel every single day. You need to be sanctified in truth. As John 17 verse 19 said, we looked at that just a few weeks ago, you need to be sanctified in the gospel. You see, the gospel saves, but it also sanctifies. That word means simply, it makes you more like Jesus. And so if you, like Barabbas, are an insurrectionist, violently opposed to your authority, which is a holy God, please hear me say this, and I'm saying this as a guilty person who has had the guilt lifted, but still struggles in this daily battle. With me, turn from a lifestyle of insurrection. Turn from this lifestyle Of insurrection. If Barabbas went free and then went right back out there and violently was insurrectionist, a robber, a thief, a murderer, you'd say, What an idiot. He just got to get out of jail free card. Why would he go back to his criminal ways? That's what we do when we continue to sin against God. But the fact of the matter is that you will fail. And you will sin, just like me. But when you fail, this is the truth of the gospel be reminded that you no longer bear the penalty. You no longer bear the penalty. And the exact immediate outflow of that must be worship. It must be worship. Because Jesus is king. And so I want you to understand this, church, that God did not call you to be a successful construction worker he didn't call you to be a successful bank teller. He didn't call you to be a successful teacher. I think if you're working for the glory of God in those things, you will certainly see those things come to pass in a lot of ways. God did not call you specifically to go and be successful in your job. The disciples didn't go and, and then say, God wants to be, me to be a successful fisherman. That's my job in this life. That's not what happened. God called you to something very, very simple, and he called you to make much of Jesus, to do exactly what he does, and that is to testify to the truth. That's your job. But here's the reality, I don't think that that job gets as many hours of the week as your other job. And something's wrong about that. Jesus bore the penalty. So let us go and worship him as a result. I think there's a lot of stuff here for us that are followers of Jesus. But I'm aware that not everyone in this place can make that claim. That you're a follower of Jesus. That there's there's never become a point in your life when you have fallen at the feet of Jesus, admitted your sin, and chosen to follow Christ. Hear me say this if that's you. You don't have to be a prisoner to guilt and to shame and to hell and to sin anymore. Take one from what we see in Barabbas. The truth that Jesus is testifying to is that he wants to take your place so that you can be set free. And today, I call you to join me in worshiping the Christ for the first time. What a beautiful, liberating truth. I think an excellent way to close is with this reminder That though you benefit mightily from the cross, let's remember who the cross was really about. I'm going to reread Philippians 2 now. Listen to the words of this passage. You don't have to turn there, just listen. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father, amen. Let's pray. We want to thank you for listening to this week's sermon. For more information, you can find us on Facebook by going to facebook.com slash Baptist. We'd love for you to join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m as we seek to make much of Jesus and loving above all else.